live from the Haymarket Pub and Brewery, this is Bug House! In 1911, assholes were running the country. I mean, it's true, assholes were running the country and as a part of the response in Washington Square Park here in Chicago, a bunch of radicals and free thinkers and anarchists and communists and people that had an invested effort to change things started getting on soap boxes, actual boxes that they transported soap in and standing on those soap boxes in Washington Square Park and arguing about the issues of the day. They dubbed it Bug House Square, which is pejorative for a mental hospital, Bug House is. And that was one of the things, and I would argue, it's arguable, that those debates helped us get to the point where women could get the right to vote about 10 years later, where unions were, were created, where child labor laws were created. Okay, so that happened. And then in the 50s, after we'd won the war, assholes were in charge of the country. And Stud Sterkle said, you know what, we got to re reinvent this. And so he revived Bug House Square, where people were arguing for real. Today, assholes are in charge of the country. And not only that, it's our fault. We want to blame them, but it's our fault. We allowed it to happen. Part of the reason we allowed it to happen, and David and I figured this out when we decided to do the show, was one day we were arguing about something. We don't even remember what it was, but the argument went something like this. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You fucking racist. You fucking sexist. Black Lives Matter. Me too. And it just went to shit. And we realized we don't know how to argue anymore as a, as a society. We don't know how to be persuasive anymore. All we know how to do is stand on moral high ground and scream at each other. And so there was a need, once again, for the concept of Bug House Square. So we created a show, because that's what you would do. In 1911, you didn't do a show, you just got a soapbox. In the 50s, you had to get Stud Sterkle. In the new millennium, you do a show and a podcast. And what we have done is the art of the dialectic. What you should know is that we have six debaters tonight. None of those six knew what their topic was going to be when they agreed to do it. I handed them their topic. Not only that, they didn't get to choose which side of the issue they were on. I gave them that too. It is truly like high school debate. <laughs> okay? So understand that that is how the rules are played. A lot of live lit shows they let the audience vote. And that's very democratic, but we don't live in a fucking democracy, so we don't do that. A lot of live lit shows will have teams of judges to decide, and that's representative democracy. But we don't live in a representative democracy. We live in an oligarchy where 1% decides for all the rest of us. So for Bug House, we get one person in the audience randomly chosen and they decide for everybody else. Our judge tonight, Ursula. Wave your hand, Ursula, there she is right in the back. <laughs> Ursula does not have to, just like the 1%, she does not have to explain her decision unless she wants to. You don't have to like it, you might not but she gets to decide who wins each debate based entirely on her own agenda. That's how we do it at Bug House, cool? That's how it works. Now we have three topics that we're gonna to hear tonight. The first topic, we now are in a place where we need to protest. People feel an urge to get out in the streets and protest all the things that seem to be going wrong with our country. Well, protests seemed to work in the 60s, but the question becomes, 
Is protest effective today, or is it just a way to cause traffic jams and inconvenience for everybody else? Protest. Effective change or traffic jam? Frank Layden, David Himmel. Give him a hand. Does anybody have a coin? Does anybody have a coin? A quarter? Anything? All right, there we go. All right, Frank, you're not the editor of Literate Ape, so I'm going to let you call it in the air. Yes. It is Tails. So, David Kimmel, you get to determine whether who goes first or second. Are you going to go first or second? Frank is a dear friend of mine. Yeah. Oh, he did not want to go first. So, yeah. So I'm going to say that Frank goes first. Frank, Layden, give him a hand. David, I hate you a lot. Although we're dear friends. Okay, so my lovely opponent over here, he is going to tell you that protesting is a waste of time, nothing but a traffic jam that gets in the way of real progress, okay? I think we all know that history says something different. You need some examples? Okay, I got one for you. Boston fucking Tea Party, 1773. We all know this one. Protesters draped in blankets and wearing Native American headdresses snuck aboard ships belonging to the British East India Company and threw 342 chests of tea overboard into Boston Harbor. I'm not really from Boston, but this is for you. They were protesting both the tax on tea, taxation without representation, and what they understandably viewed as a tea monopoly handed to the East India Company by the British. This act of protest sparked the American Revolution, which, as we all know, ultimately ended with American freedom from British rule. Women's Suffrage Parade, 1913, one day before the inauguration of Woodrow Wilson, more than 5,000 women descended on Washington to fight for the vote. It was the first suffrage parade of its kind. Incidentally, Woodrow Wilson was not an advocate of women's suffrage at the time. He did come around later, but it took a while. Despite being heckled and harassed by the crowd, they soldiered on. And the march was so memorable that it created this momentum that six years later, Congress passed the 19th Amendment, extending the vote to women nationwide. This kick -ass, these kick-ass ladies fought for the right to vote, but also unknowingly advanced the causes for birth control, civil rights, and economic equality. Woo is right. Woo. March on Washington for jobs and freedom. 1963, Martin Luther King Jr., backed by 250,000 supporters, turned out at the Lincoln Memorial to pr protest racial discrimination and show support for major civil rights legislation that was pending in Congress at the time. This is where the I have a dream speech took place, which was uh, improvised, by the way. <clears throat> this movement is credited for building support for the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The Monday demonstrations, 1982 to 1989. This protest started out in 1982 as a simple weekly prayer meeting at St. Nicholas Church in the town of Leipzig by a German pastor named Christian Fuhrer. Yes, I said Fuhrer, and yes, that is how it's spelled. <laughs> Fast forward to October, November of 1989. This meeting had grown into a massive peaceful protest that grew week by week until it numbered over 300,000. It was the largest demonstration in East German history, and this movement is credited with bringing down the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's just the tip of the iceberg, but we can all see that history is rife with examples of the direct influence protests have had on human progress and the bringing about a change. And on the flip side of those examples, if protest isn't effective, then why 
Is it that tyrants use the suppression of protest, sometimes through violence, as a means to assert control over people? Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Mao Zedong, Saddam Hussein, Muammar Gaddafi, do you think anyone was protesting when these people were at the height of their power? Hell no. Hell fucking no. They weren't doing it. Some might say that our current president would like to suppress protest. I mean, I'll leave that up to you, but uh, he sure as hell seems to want to silence Mueller and the press. But beyond all of that, on a very basic human level, think about how you feel when your ability to complain or challenge or protest is stifled. It feels wrong, and it's not something you can contain for long. Even the fear of death can't contain it forever. Does anybody remember the man standing in front of the line of tanks in Tiananmen Square? How about the self-immolation protests during the Vietnam War of the monks? Protest is fundamental to being human. We're born with it. It's in our wiring, and it's one of the core tools at our disposal to communicate our needs, to object to, to, object to unfair treatment, to challenge norms. Protest is a fundamental means of communication. So real change and real progress cannot happen without it. Still not convinced? How about Protestant Reformation? 1517 to 1685, took a while. But Martin, Lu Martin Luther, the original reformer, bearing the name, <clears throat> bearing that name, and the man Dr. King was named after, by the way, Martin Luther King Jr. was originally named Michael, is Martin Luther is widely, it's true, it's true, Martin Luther is widely credited for creating the spark that started Protestant Reformation, that upended the Catholic Church, and created a completely new religious sect that literally has the name protest in its name. Protest, protestant, protestant. Yes. Lastly, and on a personal note, my final example, at the age of about five or six years old, I was being treated unfairly by my grandfather. <laughs> he would give things to my older brother John in front of me that he would not then give to me. Uh, you know, sodas, sweets, affection, attention until I couldn't take it anymore and I finally confronted him. I walked up to my grandfather and I stared him straight in the eyes and I said, Grandpa, what's, you shouldn't give things to John but you can give to me. That's, that's not fair, that's not nice. And, and it makes me sad. Aww. Yeah, aw, right. Aw, aw, poor little me. Have you ever seen a man literally melt from guilt? <laughs> if you haven't, you should try it, it's amazing. But let me tell you, that shit never happened again. <laughs> protest <laughs> can and does affect change. Thank you. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, for the flip side of the argument, David Himmel. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's awesome. Um, religion is a good example. First time ever. There you go. That was with the Protestant thing, like that religion makes everything okay. Good job, Frank. That was cool. Um, <laughs> no, that was, that was good. Who knew? Um, all right. <laughs> Apparently Michael King Jr. knew. I don't know. <laughs> My grandfather loved me. So I don't have a personal example of having to get love for my grandfather. However, 
In January 2017, I participated in the Women's March. I drove to Washington on a hot burn from Chicago with three others to protest. Now, you already know this, of course, because you read my three-part series on the, the trip and the march on Later Dave. Okay. I did. <laughs> Thanks, Don. I edited it. Thank you, Don. Uh, so you also know that the march was a march for the record books. <clears throat> it was a protest march that brought out somewhere near 500,000 people, 300,000 more than organizers expected. It was a protest march that inspired like marches all over the world. It was a protest march that made it really difficult to get around town, either by driving, walking, riding your bike, taking public transit, transit, crawling, rollerblading, razor scootering, hoverboarding, or jogging, even if you were on your way to attend the march. We drove to the start of that march and had a pass to park in a federal building. We were lucky. That made things a whole lot easier for us. But we also had to turn around and avoid blocked off streets and access points like 17 different times. What would have been a 20-minute drive with traffic became a one-hour ordeal because of the very thing we were trying to get to. The Washington metro system was stuffed to the hilt. It was the second busiest day in ridership just behind Obama's first inauguration. And once marching, the crowds were so massive and packed tightly on the streets that I spent most of my day balls to butt in front and butt to front butt in back with total strangers. If you needed to pee and happened to be on the opposite side of the street as the porta-potties, you had to wait until the flow of the hive marching made it to the next group of porta-potties. But by then you were probably on the wrong side again because they alternated sides. But how could you know that? I sure didn't. And I nearly pissed my pants because of it. But the traffic jam and the nearly peeing my pants was a small price to pay for all of the effective change that it caused. <laughs> right? Because it changed things. <laughs> Planned Parenthood is no longer under attack. Women are being paid an equal amount of money in the workplace compared to their male coworkers in the same job. The arts are well-funded. Social programs to help those who cannot help themselves are helping more people than ever. Mike Pence finally let his wife see his penis. <laughs> and all things being fair, he got to see her booby. Part, part of her booby, side booby, which is just as hot, if not more. <laughs> side boob is hot. The Women's March made a difference, just like the Black Lives Matter March I took part in back in July of 2016. The pedestrians unable to cross the street to catch their train or bus home being blocked by a river of protesters with signs and chants was worth it. The cars and buses honking and waiting as protesters, as we made our way through red lights, was just the thing needed for the cops to stop shooting unarmed, non-threatening black men and an old woman. Totally made a difference. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it? No. Oh, it didn't? Of course not. But it's a sweet thought. I love the idea. That's why I participated in those protest marches. It made me feel really good about myself and my fellow man. Plus, I like to pretend. I do it a lot. Sometimes I pretend that I'm a Jedi Knight and I can make the TV's remote control come from the coffee table to my hand without having to sit up and reach for it. <laughs> Sometimes I pretend that I'm Wolverine and that the zit I've spent days picking at with nail clippers will burst and heal instantly. <laughs> Just in time for my bug house performance. Sometimes I pretend that I'm still single and that the person kicking me in the middle of the night is a woman I paid to be there and can just as easily ask to leave. But I can't because my wife is not a whore. Frank. <laughs> and just, just for the record, my wife wants Frank to win this. So, all right, so, um, but I like to make believe. But I'm not so daft that I can make believe protesting, protest marches, lead to anything other than traffic jams. Oh sure, they might raise awareness. So do ribbons, and beards apparently, and, and t-shirts. Hey. Yeah, yeah. For the listeners, I'm wearing a literateape.com t-shirt. <laughs> but none of these things, none of these things cause inconveniences for other people. But David, 
The inconvenience is exactly the point of these protests. That's what Frank sounds like. Yeah, well, a lot of good they do you, Bob. The march from Selma to Montgomery did not make the Klan put down their burning crosses. Hell, Archibald, they walking and blocking up our traffic streets. Maybe we ought to quit lynching them and let them sip from our water fountains. No, that didn't happen. I bet my son's foreskin that more than not, they had kids that grew up to be cops. The Boston Tea Party? Think of all the children, all the sick children, the tired children who needed to go to bed and needed to relax after a day of living in the 1700s. That was hard. Think of all those kids that didn't get their nighty-night tea because some assholes dressed as Indians or Native Americans or whatever the hell they were calling them back then dumped all the kids' tea in the ocean. War made a difference. And you know what did work? It's a Montgomery bus boycott. But that wasn't a march. That was a boycott. Boycotts don't cause traffic jams. Boycotts are effective because they get at the money. You want to make effective change? Stay home. Do nothing. Except boycott. Boycott everything. But David, how are we supposed to boycott aggressive police unfit for their jobs? That's a great question, Frank. <laughs> This kind of boycott requires a little action. Write down license plate numbers of the squad car you see pushed through a red light without sirens or lights. Do the same for the cars parked illegally. Report them to the precinct. I've done this. And stop giving cops free shit. Maybe when cops have to pay for their own fucking coffee, they'll consider not shooting the four-year-old kid holding a sippy cup. And really, I know that hasn't happened yet, but really, we're like one mustache cop away from that actually happening. But David... <laughs> Yes, Frank. <laughs> what about all the hateful stuff Trump is doing? And the stuff the GOP is doing? Well, I can't help you there. Those dudes aren't going to listen to reason, and they're sure as shit not going to listen to the hordes of liberals wearing goofy hats, blocking the entrance to their favorite massage parlor. Vote them out, I guess. Vote Republican in the primaries? You want real, effective change? Boycott the protest marches. Thank you. All right. David Himmel with the flip side of the argument. You have Frank saying that uh, it is effective change using history. We have David using his rationale for the lack of uh, effective change. And then Ursula, no one else gets to decide but you. And we all have to, just like in an oligarchy, accept your decision and live by it. So, <laughs> Ursula, who wins this match? David. David. Oh. David Himmel wins. The second topic, and it is probably, I would argue, the most important topic of the night, is something that affects everybody. I would argue that everybody takes a shit. Everybody has to relieve themselves of material waste, gas and groceries, right? The question is, is it better to wipe your ass with toilet paper or squirt water up your ass with a bidet? And show your cards, who's got the high card? Oh. Looks like Dana's got the high card. Do you want to go first or second? First. You're going to go first. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, an argument in favor of toilet paper, Dana German. Give her a hand. Hello. <laughs> Take a good look at man's new BFF. Can you spare a square? I hope for your sake you can. Sorry I'm not asking for a cigarette. Just a moment of your time, really, to consider and to revalue this often overlooked and important staple of our modern existence, which affects every American in some way, every day. Comrades, the last time I was on the stage with you and for you, I related the facts of how it was the pants, not dad ass, that makes one's ass look fat. Now that I have the privilege of tackling more pressing matters, I shall res try to resist coming off 
like a coprophiliac, when I say, I enjoy my time in the bathroom just as much as anyone else. In fact, something about getting older means nature's calling one into the WC just takes longer and is yet somehow more enjoyable than ever. But I don't care to prolong the situations any further if I can help it. My fellow Americans, bidet use is a trap. It is just one more overly complicated step in the process of getting your business taken care of. You'd think this would translate as more enjoyment, but it just means more crouching. And that means more thigh muscles. And it may even mean more hemorrhoids. However much it may assist my argument, I shall not bore you, dear audience, with the myriad of facts which conclude that there is no proof that using a bidet is at all as effective as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> Meanwhile, there are drawbacks, which include, insert Wikipedia air quotes here, the possibility of wetting your clothing if used carelessly. In addition, a user must be reasonably mobile and flexible to use even a handheld bidet shower. Folks! There's no texting while you bidet. God help you if you bidet while intoxicated. <laughs> also, I don't know about you, but I'm stupid American. Words like bidet confuse me. <laughs> Allow me to flush this out a little nice. further for you. Going for the cheap honey humor, folks. That's what I'm all about. Again, from the all-seeing, all-knowing brown eye of the wiki. <laughs> Bidets are not meant to replace the use of toilet paper, but instead to be used with soap in addition to it after paper has been used to achieve full cleanliness without immediately having to take a shower. Some bidets have a vertical jet intended to give easy access for washing and rinsing the perineum and anal area, achieving a high level of cleanliness. Soap? Whoa, 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 whoa. Talk about a recipe for an itchy bone. Too much soap will irritate a delicate area like your perineum and inner buttocks and anus. Come on, we've got a pH balance to maintain here. <laughs> Alas, friends, education comes with pain. Some people use bidets because they never learned how to wipe properly. <laughs> I recently heard a tragic story of a young man who grew up and after becoming known as mud butt to friends and family, became rapidly obsessed with the notion of nether region cleanliness. He used the bidet, then wiped, then used the bidet, then wiped again. Only a societally induced mania is to blame for this egregiousness, not a high grit level. <laughs> I embellish this tale a smidgen to bring to bear the notion, too, that it is precisely because these products are so prevalent that people use them unscrupulously and to excess. Buying most paper products like bath tissue and paper towels is a waste of money and creates loads of unrecyclable garbage. Yet meanwhile, it's entirely possible that the day use increases the likelihood of developing dingleberries, a vicious cycle at work. <laughs> Does everybody know what a dingleberry is? Yeah, yeah, you guessed it. Butthole lint nuggets. All right, boy, are they inconvenient when you're trying to get your salad tossed. <laughs> Does everyone know what it means to get your salad tossed? Okay, I hope so, because it feels really good. In addition, can you bidet, can your bidet make a political statement and or display your value sets to others by featuring fun decals and double as emergency stationery? I doubt it. 
pure lady like me, you love that time of the month when you get to unwrap that fresh, light, crinkly paper packaging and marvel at the evolutionary wonder cultivated with the assistance of man from a common raw leaf and bark into a marvelous and efficient tool, an ordinary roll of manipulatable dimensions crafted with simplicity and all for the comfort of your fat ass. <laughs> there are some of you in the audience who are diehard bidet people, and to you, I say, get a better technique. And maybe some witch hazel, you know, if you get irritated down there so easily. Face it, folks, the best bidet is the one for your hands. It's called a sink. And that's really easy to say, sink. Remember to wash them there. Your toilet is not a sink. And I know I'm all about eliminating extra steps, but please, do use soap this time, also where available. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, for bidet, Susie on. Um, I'm gonna need a, a little help from you, a little bit of audience participation for this one. So let's just test it out. If you can hear me, please clap your hands. Okay, we're in business, that's good. Now, we all know there are two things that are certain in this life. Uh, let's say together. Poo-poo yeah. -poo and pee-pee. <laughs> Honorable mention goes to blood. Now, <laughs> Show of hands, how many people enjoy pooping in public restrooms, particularly at work, and anyone? Wow, that's, I give you four people credit. Um, I do not like to poop at work. I avoid it at all costs. I mean, no matter how much I'm turtle-heading, I will clench my butt cheeks together for eight hours if I need to. I'm doing it right now. Because inevitably, one of your coworkers will walk in while you're doing your business and be totally offended by what you're making. Or they might try to strike up a conversation with you. And at that point, I'm forced to answer how my weekend was. And inevitably, one of us will fart. And at that point, there's no denying who's supplying. It might go something a little like this. How was your weekend? It was fine. Oh, I, I did, uh, I ran into Oh God, stop it. Oh my God. The conversation just ends right there. You both know what happened. And then you have to leave the bathroom and see each other at work. <laughs> Seemingly private restrooms for a single user are no good either. I fear that someone's just gonna walk in on me mid-wipe, and I'm just staring at my poop smear on a wad of toilet paper. It's a very vulnerable position to be in. No one needs that kind of fear. No one. Now, I believe at the heart of all this is the desire for cleanliness. Yes, toilet paper is the typical means in which many of us in America wipe our asses, but is it the best we can do? I can tell you for certain, it is not. Clap your hands if you've ever touched poop or thought that maybe you touched poop. Pretty gross, pretty gross, right? 
Did you then make a mad dash for some toilet paper to clean up and then say, cool, I'm, I'm gonna go have a hamburger now. Maybe some spicy ribs? No, no you didn't, because that is disgusting. And if you did do that, you likely had diarrhea later. <laughs> toilet paper does not get you clean. Now consider the bidet. It comes in various forms, but you may be most familiar with the standalone plumbing fixture that you straddle, and then water shoots up and cleans your area. Now, you might be freaked out at first to think about some water splashing you after you've taken a poop, uh, but it's... It, taked. I, I know English very well. Took a poop. Um, you know, it, it's only freaking you out because of years of indoctrination from the big two-ply industry. <laughs> You've been told all these years that bidets are un-American. They're weird and hoity-toity. Well, that ends today. Open your eyes. Open your mind. Open your ass. <laughs> bidets are clean, gentle, healthy, and environmental. I'm scanning the room here, and I have a feeling a decent portion of you have had some kind of experience with hemorrhoids or anal fissures. Yeah. Well, listen, toilet paper is only going to make matters worse. Now, think about it. Would you rather be wiping your swollen veins from your rectum with sandpaper? Or would you prefer angels splashing you with refreshing, healing water as you watch the summer sun set over the Pacific Ocean? I know what I would choose. Bidets have really disrupted the toilet market. I mean, there are so many that you could choose from. Not only do they wash your ass, but they'll blow dry it too. You can even have some that play soothing music. Do you have a crack that's a lot like the Amazon rainforest? Well, there's a bidet for you. You know, some bidets come with different types of jet streams with varying levels of in intensity, sure to cut through that jungle of hair to eliminate any Klingons. We heard about dingleberries earlier. They're, they're the same thing, Klingons and dingleberries. And before you say, what a waste of water a bidet is, consider this. It takes 37 gallons of water to make one standard roll of toilet paper. 37 gallons, folks. And when I am using toilet paper to wipe myself, you know, I tend to use more than I need to just to make a barrier against my own poo-poo and pee-pee. Honorable mention goes to blood. <laughs> Friends, with all the water it takes to make one roll of toilet paper, I could take a massive dump, clean myself thoroughly with a bidet, and then flush it 18 times. You may be thinking, well, isn't a bidet plumbing for the 1%? Wouldn't a bidet make me one step away from bleaching my asshole? <laughs> the answer is no. Bernie bros can be bidet bros. You, that was delayed, but thank you. You don't need to spend tons of money to get an extra structure installed in your bathroom. You could get an attachment for your existing toilet. That's simple. Or, if you're like me, you can pay absolutely nothing. I gave birth just a few months ago, and they gave me a squirt bottle totally free. <laughs> Giving birth, that's another use for a bidet. I mean, if you've given birth, you know how much you don't want to be putting toilet paper on your spaghetti and meat sauce. I mean... It's already pretty tender down there, and your insides are already on the verge of falling out. So I apologize if you're eating. So if cost is an issue, just get yourself a squirt bottle. It's, it's very easy. You could just squirt from the front, squirt from the back. Dealer's choice. It's super easy. Finally, you might be asking, well, if we do away with the toilet paper, what about drying my tears? Or wiping my nose? 
what will I jizz into? <laughs> I'm not saying that we need to totally abolish toilet paper. I'm just saying let's use it less. Let's reduce our carbon footprint and conserve our precious resources. Toilet paper backs up our sewage systems. It doesn't get us totally clean, and it's harsh on the whole. <laughs> so remember, for clean, gentle, healthy, and environmental, make today the day. Thank you. You have heard, you have heard an argument for toilet paper and an argument for bidet, which do you say won the argument? Bidet? Number two? Susie Yon! Susie Yon with the bidet! And the final topic. The ultimate freelancers with a porn star creating havoc for the President of the United States, the question becomes, there aren't that many jobs for women or for men. There's just not that many jobs, especially in the freelance world. So the question becomes prostitution. Prostitution is not legal in a lot of states in this country, most. And the question is, is prostitution all right to be criminalized? Or should prostitution simply be legalized and allowed the same benefits of any other worker? Sportsmen, they use their bodies. It's entirely up to Ursula. In, in honor of legalizing prostitution, ladies and gentlemen, give a big hand to Lisa Marie Farmer. Go! Hello, I'm just bringing up some accessories. These guys are my friends, and they've got a lot of years in the experience of entertaining people, <laughs> like prostitutes do. Okay, now it's time for the gloves to come off. <laughs> Removing Halloween glove. Guys, it's the craziest thing, right? This morning I woke up and my foot was hurting me so badly, right? And I was like, my foot needs care immediately. If I don't get this foot taken care of, it could swell up really big, right? And if this foot swells up really big, the worst thing that could happen is that it bursts everywhere and then people get covered in my foot goo. <laughs> and then maybe that person will carry that foot goo somewhere and somebody will shake their hand, which is now a foot hand, and that foot goo might end up somewhere it shouldn't be, like at a huge airport, and then across the world. And there's nothing really wrong with that, because we've got, how? Wait, hold on, I'm getting a call. <laughs> yeah, hello? Hello, who is it? Hey! Hey! It's me! It's the lamb! Hey, I was just uh, texting you this morning about my foot. Where the heck were you? Well, here's the thing. I was at work, but they don't let people hospital anymore. Wait, what do you mean? You mean when something hurts and you want to get medicine on it and you want to get a nice balm rubbed over it to soothe the pain and even potential death that can happen if it doesn't stop hurting and becomes infected and explodes? You can't do anything about that, lamb? Yeah, you're exactly right. Seems crazy, doesn't it? Well, it does seem crazy. But that's basically what happens if you don't legalize prostitution. <laughs> See, a long time ago, in the year of 1920, there was, around that time, there was the prohibition what a lot of people didn't know was that was code for the ho-hibition, right? A lot of people call prostitutes hoes, and some prostitutes like that, some prostitutes don't. But the ho-hibition has been going on since the beginning of time, right? Pro for prostitute, ho for, oh no, you didn't call me that. Prohibition, ho-hibition, right? So right now we're still mired in the ho-hibition. You know, when it first started, 
we had people trying to have sex in barrels, right? And then they would have sex in these barrels, put these barrels in the back of cars and take them to big cities, right? And then people would tap into these barrels and then the people having sex would just tumble out. And then the next thing you know, Al Capone was there, right? Now, I don't know if you guys know about Al Capone, but Al Capone was a real dangerous character, right? He liked to hang out with Robert De Niro. He hung out with Al Pacino all the time. I've even seen him with the likes of uh, Joe Pesci. I couldn't even remember his name. That's how, that's how low on the Italian totem pole that uh, he was. So Al Capone got arrested for tax evasion, right? First of all, I do want to say, let's just hold that thing about taxes in our heads. Because if you legalize prostitution, you can get taxes from prostitution. And then if you go back in time, if it wasn't for the prohibition, if it wasn't for tax evasion, which maybe Al Capone wouldn't have had to do if prostitution was legal, Al Capone would never have gotten the untimely death, the unheroic death that he did not deserve at the hands of syphilis. Okay? Now syphilis, can I just have a moment of silence? Syphilis is a sexually transmitted infection. There are other sexually transmitted infections, and I'm going to bring in a leading expert in the medical field of sexually transmitted infections right now to talk with us. Hey! Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, my name is Larry, and I'm a gynecologist. Right? I've been gynecologing since about uh, 1962. It's earlier than most of you guys were even gynecologed out of your moms, right? And let me tell you some of the things that I've seen down there. All right, there is such things that is called uh, chlamydias and gonorrheas and HIV. And they are all serious and they're all really bad and they could all kill your moms. All right? And prostitutes and moms could sometimes be the same thing. So you should legalize prostitution. Hold on, wait a second. Are you trying to tell me that prostitutes can be people? Real life people? That's right. My name is Elaine. By day, I work as a prostitute. By night, I work as a prostitute. Some people are really good at typing, right? I've got a friend who can type 60 words per minute. I can get three people off within 20 minutes, all right? And I didn't need to use Mavis Beacon for that. Okay, I'm a mom, I'm a person, I have needs, I'm also a horse. So instead of just letting me go out there and go about wild where it's not safe, you should let me be able to give the care that I can give in the places that are the safest, which are legally sanctioned barn stalls. Thank you. Wow, we've had some real experts here. Now let's round up real quick what we're talking about because I know we're all wondering. See, there's a lot when it comes to prostitution, okay? Ow, wait, hold on. Okay, guys, I, I almost have to excuse myself because of this foot thing, right? Like, I gotta go take care of this myself because nobody took care of it for me. That's right. Once upon a time, I shouldn't do that. Once upon a time, somebody decided that if you had something that hurt, that was me doing things that weren't authorized, that if you had something that hurt, you could take it to the hospital and somebody would mend your boo-boo. And that person mended boo-boos because they were very, very good at fixing things that hurt. Prostitutes have a skill and their skill lies in their body. Some people are really good at driving buses. Some people are really good at flying planes. Some people are really good at, you know, fixing the underside of broken swing sets. And some people are really good at saving lives. And prostitutes are really good at saving lives. I've got friends who are prostitutes. 
and they tell me stories of the lives they've saved and the things they've changed. So if you don't legalize prostitution, there are some serious consequences you can face, but if you do decide to legalize prostitution, then you end up in the final scenario, which is here. It was a freshly made sign. I did it at the board and brush down the streets, the wine place. <laughs> Welcome to Prostitutopia, okay? And in Prostitutopia, whether you're a strumpet, a harlot, a trollop, a dollop, a trixie, a doxy, or a hoe, what you do is magic, and nobody can touch your magic because you're covered by the legal, legal government. So they're the only ones that can touch it, but then a bunch of all their weirdos can't. So <laughs> unless you support something that feels like getting rid of paramedics and emergency nurses, please do not choose against. No, wait, that's too many negatives. I'm going to just negate myself. <laughs> Legalize prostitution, because if you don't, you're probably going to wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking like, what was that girl saying and why didn't I listen to it? Thank you. Yeah! yeah. Woo Lisa Marie Farmer! Yeah! And on the flip side, ladies and gentlemen, Mark B. Weiss. So this is a pretty serious topic, in my opinion. And before I begin addressing it, I'd like to just have you participate with me in an exercise. So put your phones down, please. And I'd like you to close your eyes, if you're comfortable closing your eyes. But the more people who participate, I think you'll get with the rhythm of this. Please close your eyes, and we'll count to five. And then I'd like everyone to take two deep breaths. And I'd like you to keep your eyes closed until I ask, ask you to open them. If you've experienced having to work in a job you needed, needed, needed money for, even though you didn't like it. It wasn't a matter of choice. Could you stand up? If you've ever been coerced to do something you didn't want to do by your parent, a teacher, a bully, a boss, law enforcement, anybody, could you stand up, please? Now, I want you in your mind to visualize something. Right out here on Halstead Street, there's a parade. Group of 18-wheel trucks pulled up down the block just before we sat down. And we opened the windows, and we're looking at a parade of slaves chained together, primarily women and girls, some men and some boys, the slave traders, brokers, are leading them to be sold and distributed through the city in undisclosed underground places. The people are looking down, they're humiliated. If you believe slavery is a crime against humanity, stand up. And visualize if you're leaving here tonight, you're walking down the street, and you hear the screams of a woman in the alley, that you're going to your transfer, <coughs> excuse me, transportation or car and you turn around and you see a woman being gang raped. If you think rape is a crime against humanity, stand up. Now open your eyes and look around. Please sit down. This topic was playing on me emotionally for the past two weeks or whenever Don had asked me to come and gave me my assignment. And as I was thinking of this, and I would remind myself I had to sit down and do some research, rape just kept coming into my head. I'm doing a thing on rape. And then I say, no, no, this is prostitution. 
My, pos my, my position in this debate is to address the criminalization of prostitution. But there are many factors that I've encountered in being prepared for tonight. Let me begin by saying absolutely. There is no question that any man, woman, child, not children, excuse me, men or women, have a right to do whatever they want to do with their body. It's their decision alone. If you want to voluntarily be trading sex for money, it's simply a matter of choice. Not to be judged. And we know that that process, based on the Judeo-Christian tradition, is assuming that sex is immoral. The United Nations Secretary General even called for the decriminalization of sex work. And prostitutes come from many backgrounds, impoverished environments, places where they've been sexually abused, homeless, poorly educated, drug addicted, Unfortunately, in this society, to get to a point of recognizing the status, that stigma we have, which was reported in the news today, presidents who say what I did 20 years ago isn't addressable today. I didn't resign, this was on the Today Show this morning. It's in all the papers. I feel okay with what I did. There's a trauma that I'm sure Monica Lewinsky in this case has experienced. Sexual assault, any assault, coercion. People talk about trauma today in so many different ways but there are things that you don't forget. Now, can a child choose to, be, to, to go into prostitution? It's a silly question. Children are not prostitutes, they're prostituted. There are no child prostitutes. And I use this extreme to bring up an aspect of this debate that I came upon when I was debating this topic in my own mind in the first few days. Prostitution is not a victimless crime. And is the person who's arrested for committing the act the victim, or are they the crime? Certainly the person choosing on their own, if choice was not criminal, and I'm not talking about things like abortion, which the Supreme Court has recognize is choice, but is choice itself criminal, especially in the case of prostitution? Everyone has a right, but what influences these choices? To choose prostitution other than having been a sex slave or trafficked or dealing with physical abuse or coercion. You have to feed a family. Recently, the papers have been writing about the, eight, I think it's $850 billion in student debt for this particular generation. It's bankruptcy proof. It's unforgivable. I think one of the methods, and there's always a demand for sex in this country and around the world, how do you pay your bills? Your credit is destroyed this generation of people with excessive debt that's unforgivable will not be able to buy homes, rent apartments, get credit cards, and people need money. There's going to be choices, but they're not always the best methods. There's a desperation, in many cases, of choosing, at a low point of your life, the easy way to get cash, tax-free. And the problem is, when you're in a cash business, and it's not reportable, and I see some of you in the back, your eyes lighting up when you think of a cash business. <laughs> but how do you 
go to a $10 an hour job and then pay taxes and begin to participate in that low level of wage earners when you can provide money for your family, pay your loans, live a life in an economy where we see such a dichotomy of, of wealth and earning in debt. What do you do if you're an immigrant and you can't get a job for statuses? You've got no qualifications. You don't speak the language. Now, we can talk about the court systems being unjust because of all the male judges. But something came to me the other day, which I think is interesting, going back to the early 1900s. In 1957 or 8, I started kindergarten at a school, which was a K through 4. And the name of the school was Bartlemy School. Now, I don't know why this came up while I was preparing for this. But Mary Bartlemy, I never really knew what she did. And there's a park in the West Loop that I just found. And so I Googled her. And she believed, she was born in Chicago, an immigrant of Germany, and a social reformer during the progressive area, era, and was named in 1897 the Cook County Public Guardian, and was the first woman to this post. And Bartomey believed there was a dramatic social neglect of girls, that parents must speak frankly with their daughters about sex, and poverty was the main cause of delinquency. In May of 1912, she was named assistant judge to the juvenile court of Cook County, and then in 1913, convened a special girls court, which heard cases of delinquent and dependent girls, many of them prostitutes. She died in 50, Four, and they were building a school, and I was in the first kindergarten class. Wow. Excuse me, a lot of notes on this. Anyway, the statistics of how many people are in prostitution and providers, I don't think that's really important. But I think the pimp, the kidnapper, are people who need the most severe punishment under the law. I think the economy is at fault. Um, you've got, if we talk about legalizing prostitution, you're talking about getting a license, having it registered, being able to have people look at what's your mother's profession. Oh, she's a prostitute. One of the easiest things to do to piss off someone is talk about their mother being a whore, right? Your mom is a hoe. Piss them off anytime. But this is nothing that's going to end up going away. And yes, it may declare taxes, but like drug dealers, it, it's, it's, it's never going to be given up. Um, but how do you take this, which is, such as broad-based, undescribably complex uh, topic, and then address why we should criminalize it. And I think in summary, it's, it's simply this. We've lived through times or read about prohibition, and the people wanted it lifted. It was criminalized, and now alcohol has its legal limits. We're seeing that now with mar marijuana. It's taken many years, but it's becoming decriminalized. And if something is criminalized and there's a broad movement, and I don't know that you'll get every person available to put it on a ballot, but if people who are elected know that it's something people don't want to see in the form it's in now, then it must be criminalized to piss off enough of our voters in public to decriminalize it. And that's my issue for criminalizing. Thank you. There you go.
And I gotta say, that's one of the things I love about it, is talk about a diametrically opposed argument and approach to the argument. I love it, I love it. All right, Ursula. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta work for this one, don't you? Who convinced you? Don't, not even what you think about it. So, who made a convincing argument to you, Ursula Pinsky? I would go for the what do you what do you say? Lisa. Okay, Lisa wins. All right, there you go. That's how it works. That is how it works, Lisa. By a sound of applause and cheering, you're going to determine who is the best debater of the night, and that person is going to walk out of here with a growler filled with a beer of their choice. So. I'm going to put my hand over the head. You cheer for whomever you think was the best, made the best persuasive argument of the night. social media say you loved the show if you loved it if you hated it say you hated it because there's no press that's bad it's all press thank you very much have a great night